Welcome to the Living Godcast. Our prayer is that this message speaks to you, impacts you, and inspires you. Please enjoy today's message, and we invite you to contact us if you need prayer, appreciate this word, or would like more information on Church of the Living God. Be blessed today. All right. I felt like I woke up this morning with a totally different plan. I woke up this morning with a totally different plan, and I felt like the Lord wanted to change the direction of this month. And so I felt like the Lord wanted to talk about encounter um, this month. How many of you, that word really freaks you out, encounter? Like the word encounter or God encounter or encounter with the Lord, like that phrasing just freaks you out. Like it, it makes you nervous and it really, it really like, um, it like, it, it, it kind of puts you on the edge of your seat. But how many of you would be super comfortable if, you've, if, if we stood up here and we had a worship set and we said, we can really feel and sense the Lord in this place? Like, if we stood up here after a song and we said, how many of you can sense the Lord in this place? And, and a bunch of us raised our hands. And that wouldn't be nearly as, like, scary, right? That wouldn't be nearly as intimidating. Or, or if we said, um, man, after I heard that message, I, I, really, I really could feel the Lord on that message, or I could really sense the Lord, that... Those are encounters with the Lord. Those are encounters with the Lord. Now, there are dramatic encounters with the Lord. There are powerful, supernatural encounters with the Lord. There are the Isaiah 6 encounters with the Lord where you're caught up into the heavenlies and you see the Lord and the seraphims and the temples shaking. And there are those kind of encounters. But there are also the kind of encounters where where everything around you is saying anything but peace and for some reason there is just a still small voice and in a moment when there shouldn't be peace, now all of a sudden there is peace. And, and we in the world of, of, of charismatic Pentecostal church, we, we dissect um, God encounters to, we dissect God encounters to either uh, e- either none at all, or it has to be the, the way extreme. It has to be the way extreme. And, and I think the Lord wants to break down that barrier because I, I felt the Lord say to me a few months ago that we should not confuse dramatic with powerful. We should not confuse dramatic with powerful because some of the most powerful encounters with the Lord actually aren't dramatic at all. They actually aren't dramatic at all. That's not to say that a dramatic encounter with the Lord cannot be powerful. Isaiah's encounter with the Lord was super dramatic and it was super powerful. When Ezekiel gets picked up by his hair, that's super dramatic and also super powerful. But it's also super powerful when uh, the Lord walks into your bedroom and it feels like all hell is breaking loose and he whispers the only thing that can bring peace or he whispers the answer that you've been looking for for months. And, and it's, it's not dramatic in terms of falling in the floor. It's not dramatic in terms of looking like what we would consider dramatic in charismatic Pentecostal circles, but it is powerful. And it is powerful. And so I, I, want, I want to take a look over the next few weeks about what it means to encounter the Lord, what it looks like to encounter the Lord. And we're just going to look at some stories. We're going to look at some stories. There are, there are some people in this book 
who encountered the Lord and had powerful encounters, but we would not consider it powerful if they were in some of our circles. Some of us would not consider it powerful. Their encounters would not look powerful to the naked eye. They wouldn't look powerful, but the result of it was powerful. Jonathan Edwards, how many of you know who Jonathan Edwards is? Jonathan Edwards led the first great awakening Overseas, he was he was the leader of the first great awakening. He helped form the um, I believe it's the Methodist um, denomination, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he helped lead the outbreak of the Holy Spirit in the first great awakening. And Jonathan Edwards talks about in some of his diaries. He talks about God encounters, and he talks about judging not the encounter, but judging the fruit of the encounter, judging the fruit of the encounter because. It regardless, irregardless of how powerful it may seem on the surface, it's actually the fruit of the encounter is what God is after. It's the fruit of the encounter what God's after because sometimes God will use really weird stuff on the surface to produce a fruit that he's after, to produce a fruit that he's after. And sometimes he'll use a really peaceful thing on the surface to produce a really powerful fruit. And we've got to get rid of this stigma that I haven't encountered the Lord in a powerful way because he didn't knock me down. I haven't encountered the Lord, and this is for me too, because because growing up in these types of circles, this isn't a condemnation on this house, but growing up in these types of circles, and if you've been around these types of circles, specifically in the Bible Belt, in the Pentecostal, I'm just gonna say it, Church of God, Assemblies of God, First Church, those kinds of circles, the stigma is if you didn't get knocked over, you didn't encounter the Lord powerfully. And that's wrong, man. That's not, that's not what the book shows me. The book shows me powerful encounters where people met with him and, and, some, and some very subtle ways brushed up against him face to face, brushed up against him face to face, and it completely changed who they were because it's the fruit that we're after. It's the fruit that we're after. We're after transformation. Every encounter is meant to produce a change in us. It's meant to produce a change in us. We're meant to live in constant encounter with him, in constant encounter with him, because encounter draws us close to him. It draws us near to him, and it changes us to be more like him. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3 that in his glory, we are changed from glory to glory. We gotta be encountered with his glory to change to be like him. And so the fruit of encountering him is to be more like him. But if we only segment it out and, and discount every, if we, if we discount the small, quote unquote, small encounters and say, well, well, that was a nice touch or that was nice for the ride to work, or, or that, that was nice for this morning. But when I get to church and the evangelist comes in, or when I, when I get to church and the apostle's there, or, or when I get to church and somebody gets the oil and can lay hands on me, then I can really encounter the Lord and stuff can really start changing. Then we actually discount what the Lord wants to do in our lives. We actually discount what the Lord wants to do in our lives. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? I'm not just rambling? Okay. All right, we're gonna go to Judges, Judges 6. And we're gonna look at the story of Gideon. Judges 6, and we're gonna read these first few verses to uh, set up the scene. Verses one through six, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. 
And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid waste the land and as they, came, as they came in, and Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. So things not super great in Israel. So this is our scene as we get ready to jump into this story. We're gonna skip the next couple of verses. Basically, the Lord calls for a prophet, and the prophet comes in and says, the reason this is happening is because you forsook the Lord. Basically, that's, that's the next couple of verses. And we're picking up the story in verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrath, which belonged to Joash the Abazarite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Okay, so Gideon is here in the land of Israel beating out wheat in a winepress, which is not where you beat out wheat. Wheat is beat out on the threshing floor. Wine is tread in the wine press. But Gideon's beating out wheat in the wine press. The ESV says to hide it from the Midianites. The King James also says to hide it from the Midianites. But the Hebrew actually doesn't have a word for it there. The Hebrew says, in the original Hebrew, it says to hide from the Midianites. Gideon was terrified. He was terrified of this great, formidable army that time and time and time again had come in and taken everything that belonged to he and his family and his neighbors and his cousins and his aunts and his uncles and whoever else lived around him. We often, often find ourselves in seasons of weakness and discount the Lord's ability to come near us. Gideon was in as weak of a season as possible, hiding in a place where he shouldn't have been, doing what he shouldn't have been, and the Lord comes near. The angel of the Lord, who actually is the Lord in this story, it's a Christo an Old Testament Christophany. Later on, the angel of the Lord actually is referred to as the Lord. This is the Lord. Jesus appears to Gideon here in this hour of extreme weakness extreme weakness, and he visits Gideon despite his extreme frailty in this season. And, the, and, and oftentimes, oftentimes we discount the ability of the Lord to come near in a season of weakness. I, as I was reading this and rehearsing this and going back over this this afternoon, I was reminded of, of seasons in my life when the Lord came near in moments of weakness. I was reminded of the apostle and maybe the most powerful encounter he's ever had or at least shared publicly came in the weakest, one of the, one of the strangest, weakest seasons of his life when his brother's fighting for his life in a hospital bed just a few doors down. 
And the Lord, in that weak state, the Lord comes in and meets him there. It wasn't in an hour when he was standing on a mountaintop. It wasn't in an hour when he was in Africa standing on a stage in front of 100,000 or 200,000 people. It wasn't after coming off of mighty signs and wonders and miracles. It was actually in a moment of extreme weakness that the Lord came in and came near and drew himself to him. The Lord is actually magnetized to weakness. He's magnetized to weakness. Paul would go as far in 2 Corinthians to say, I'll boast of my weaknesses because it's in my weakness that your strength is made perfect. Paul says that you tabernacle with me in my weakness in, that, in the original language there in 2 Corinthians. The original language in 2 Corinthians says that your strength actually becomes activated it becomes started. It actually turns on when my weakness is present. The Lord comes near in our moments of weakness. When we think the Lord wants to be as far away from us as possible, the Lord actually wants to be as close as possible. As close as possible. In, in, in the times when it feels like the Lord shouldn't want to encounter us, when he shouldn't want anything to do with us, when he shouldn't want to come near us, when, when I feel like I don't have enough faith even to pray a prayer, that's when he comes rushing in. That's when he comes rushing in. Gideon was hiding in the wine press. He was hiding. The, the, the word for hiding here means to put to flight or to want to disappear. Gideon was so terrified of this great army, he didn't even want to be there. He didn't even want to be there. He's going through the motions because he's so terrified. He doesn't want to be there. Verse 12, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. I, one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Gideon, terrified, treading out grain in a wine press, hiding from an enemy, that is certain to come in any day now and devour all of their crops, out all of their land, and Jesus walks in and says, the Lord's with you, O mighty man of valor. O mighty man of valor. And Gideon, I can only imagine his face when the Lord says, the Lord's with you, O mighty man of valor. O mighty man of valor. In, when we meet with the Lord, he looks beyond where we're at. He looks beyond where we're at and he establishes our true identity, our true identity. He, he doesn't see the weakness and the frailty of the moment. He actually looks beyond that. He looks, he flies above that. Remember in Revelation when Jesus is talking to John and he says, hey, come up here so I can show you things that are to come. He sees from that perspective constantly. His perspective is not from down here where we are. He is constantly seeing from up here towards where we're at and he's looking above our current circumstances. And he looks at Gideon, who's hiding from the enemy that's on their way in, and he calls him a mighty man of valor. The word for mighty there is brave. The dude who's hiding, he calls him brave. He says, you're brave. Isn't that like the Lord? When we're terrified, when we're afraid, when we don't wanna do what we know we should do, and he says, you're brave. 
You're brilliant. You're smart. Lord, I'm none of those things. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Why? Because that's what a father does. A father declares over his sons and daughters exactly who he knows they're able to become, not who they are in the moment. Not who they are in the moment. And he looks past Gideon's weakness. He says, you're brave and you're a man of valor. The word for valor there is warlike strength. Warlike strength. He's talking into, he's prophesying into Gideon's future. He says, you're brave and you've got warlike strength. Gideon has no idea that in a few moments the Lord's gonna say, now, I want you to go fight the army that's on their way in. But the Lord is actually, through his words, establishing an identity in Gideon that will form a foundation for him to be able to step into all that he's called to be. Why? Because when he speaks, it's life. It's life. It's life. His words are not just encouraging words. His words are not just pick-me-ups. His words are not just do-betters. When he speaks, Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. He is the one who spoke and formed everything that we see. By his words, he actually forms in us life. He gives us life to become what he's called us to be. So when he says to Gideon, you're brave and you've got warlike strength inside of you, he's not just saying, oh, pick your head up, it's gonna be okay. Ah, oh, don't put your head down, it's gonna be all right. Ah, oh, don't, don't, be, don't be depressed and don't hide and don't be anxious and don't be nervous. What he's actually doing is he is giving life into Gideon. By his words, he's releasing grace through his presence. The spirit of God is being released through the words of the Lord, and it's actually filling Gideon with the ability to do what he wasn't able to do. When we leave an interaction with him, we're able to do what we previously weren't able to do. I'm getting ahead of myself, but, but it, I, I have trouble putting this into words. It, it may seem like it may seem like just a 30-minute car ride. It may seem like just a moment with him to the side. It may seem like five or 10 minutes, but five or 10 minutes when he's speaking grace into you and speaking abilities into you and speaking power into you changes everything. It changes everything. It establishes us. It's one thing to have an earthly father say you can do it, but to have the king of creation say you have the authority and the ability to do it, it changes everything. It actually enables us to do it. So verse 13, Gideon pushes back because this is what we do. He says to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. I love that the Lord kind of doesn't even really address this. It's like, the, it's like in John 4 when the woman at the well is like, Oh, you're a prophet. Well, 
some say we should worship on this mountain and some say we should worship at the temple and she begins this like philosophical, theological debate and Jesus just like hammers right on through it because he's got a mission. When the Lord shows up, sometimes you'll throw out questions and you'll throw out concerns and it will seem like he could care less because a lot of times he shows up for a purpose. He shows up for a purpose. The Lord did not show up to debate with Gideon all that had happened previously. In fact, he sent the prophet in the verses between, in verses seven through 10, he sent the prophet, you can go back and read it. He sent the prophet to let him know why all this had happened. Gideon's asking why has all this happened? The Lord answered that in verses seven through 10. He's not gonna go back and take time right now to answer that, he's on mission. He's on purpose and he's got something to do in this encounter. So in verse 14, the Lord turned to him. Here it is. So now the angel of the Lord is the Lord. This is Jesus. The Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. So wait a second. The Gideon was terrified, treading out grain in a wine press. The Lord shows up and says, he's a mighty man of valor. And now he says to him, go in this might of yours and save Israel. Gideon was just trying to provide food for a family. And now the Lord says, go and save Israel. Go and save Israel. The word for might here, I love this. The word for might here, and I got a little ahead of myself, It's not only strength and it's power, it's ability. It's ability. The Lord says, you now carry an ability that you didn't have before. This is right after the Lord has said, O Gideon, O mighty man of valor. The Lord has just declared over him he's a mighty man of valor, and now he's saying, you have a new ability that you didn't have before I showed up. What has happened in this story? Gideon has not fallen down. The Lord doesn't touch him. We find out later in the story, the angel and the Lord in this case has a rod. He doesn't reach out the rod and knight him. Gideon doesn't get down on his knees. He doesn't fall on his face. None of the dramatic examples of what we would consider a powerful, quote unquote, powerful encounter with the Lord happen. None of those things happen in this story. Nothing up to this point has happened except that the Lord has spoken to Gideon and Gideon has heard what the Lord said. That's all that's happened in this story. And now the Lord says he carries an ability that he didn't carry before. What does this tell us? This tells me This tells me that there's enough power in just hearing him speak and receiving what he says to completely change who I am, to completely change my abilities. It does not require me to fall on the floor. He might make me fall on the floor. Sometimes he enjoys doing that. John, John, do you guys know who John Arnott is? He was the lead of the, he was the pastor at the Toronto outpouring in Toronto in the early 90s when that revival started and ran for like 10 years. He, John Arnott said one time, he asked the Lord, he said, I do not understand, Lord, why do you like piles of people laying on the floor? He said, I don't understand. Why do you enjoy seeing so many people laying on the floor? And he said, the Lord answered him back and said, John, you don't understand women. What makes you think you could understand me? And so John quit asking. 
But in this story, I probably shouldn't have went there. But in this story, none of our typical power encounters have happened. Gideon has not shook. He hasn't cried. He hasn't laughed. He hasn't fallen on the floor. He hasn't rolled. He hasn't ran. He hasn't found a pew to flip over. He hasn't spoken tongues, and he hasn't asked for an interpretation. He hasn't done any of the things that charismatic, Pentecostal, 21st century, modern Christians would consider a powerful encounter, and yet the Lord says, you are now carrying an ability that you did not carry just seconds ago. You have had a powerful encounter, a powerful encounter. You have been empowered by the encounter, and it didn't look like what we think it looks like. It didn't sound like what we think it would sound like. And now the empowerment carries a responsibility because revelation always carries a responsibility. Remember what Jesus said? What I've revealed to you in the house, shout it from the rooftops. What I've said to you in secret, say it openly. Everything that we, is revealed to us carries a responsibility. Everything that's revealed to us carries a responsibility. If it's not revealed to me, I don't carry the responsibility. But the moment it's revealed, I now have the responsibility to do something with it. And the Lord says, you've now been empowered, and now that empowerment carries a responsibility. So be careful if you're going to ask the Lord to touch you, because that touch comes with the responsibility. And you'll answer for the responsibility. That's just an aside. But Gideon is now carrying an ability that he didn't used to have. The Lord says, go in this might of yours. You now have a might. You have a strength and a power and an ability that you didn't have just three sentences ago. And go in this might of yours. And do what with it? Tread out the grain in the place that you're supposed to tread it out? No. Return and fix your father's field? No. Save Israel. Save Israel. Because the encounter is always about more than us. It's always about more than us. The encounter draws me close to him. It transforms me to be more like him. But it's always to draw others to him. It's always to draw others to him. If all the encounter does, if all the encounter does is is transform me, then I've only got part. Then I've only got a part. It has to transform me so that others can know more about him. Haley Braun always uh, says, she, she's at Bethel in Redding, California. Haley Braun says, any promotion in the Lord, and an encounter is a promotion in the spiritual, any promotion in the Lord is a promotion into a greater area of servitude a greater area of servitude. Every encounter is an opportunity to serve in a greater capacity. And Gideon has now been empowered to serve, not his family. Gideon would have just liked to be able to go to the threshing floor instead of the wine press. He would have just liked for his family to have food. But the Lord says, now go and save Israel. Now go and save Israel. From the hand of the of Midian, do not I send you? Do not I send you? Verse fifteen and sixteen, and he said to him, "Please, Lord." 
Oh, it's good. <laughs> please, please, Lord. That's usually how it goes. Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. And I shall strike the, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. So the Lord says, I, I, I'm not just with you in the here, I'm going with you there. I'm sending you, but I'm not sending you alone. I'm, I, I don't, I'm not just sending you out. Jesus would say, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He would say, I'm sending you out, yes, as sheep in the midst of wolves, but I'm gonna go with you even until the end of the age. And he sent us the Holy Spirit to go with us forever, to perpetually and eternally be with us. And the Lord says here to Old Testament Gideon, he says, I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. I think that's so cool. This massive army that would come in like locusts Earlier we read, there was so many of this army and their camels were without number and their cattle were without number that they looked like locusts as they would take over the land. And the Lord says, when you fight them, it'll be like you're fighting one man. The power in you will be like, it'll be like all of them don't even measure up to barely one man. And this is what an encounter with him does. I love, I love that Gideon tries to talk the Lord out of it just uh, for an aside. I think that's, I think that's fantastic. The, the, because you know Gideon is feeling, it, just for a side note, you know Gideon is feeling something. We, we don't have any account of anything going on, but Gideon has to be sensing something. He has been empowered and strengthened with ability. Something's going on physically. And Gideon's response is, wait a second, I am the least of my family and my family is the least of the tribe and our tribe is the least of, of, of all of the tribes. I, I can't, I can't. I think, that's such a, I think that's such a funny response to the Lord. Verse 17, and he said to him, if I have now found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who speak to me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon goes and he gets um, an offering and he brings it out and he puts it on the rock and the angel who is the Lord, he touches it with the staff and fire comes up out of the rock and it devours the offering and then the angel disappears. And Gideon says, okay, well, this must be it. And I, I didn't put the verses, I should have, but um, from there, Gideon goes on and the Lord tells him to then go to his father's house and to take a bull and a second bull and to tear down the altar of Baal that's at his father's house and to cut down the Asherah that's at his father's house. I, I, th I think it's hard for us to put into context how much respect there was in, in, and still is to this day in this part of the world between a son and a father. The, the idea of going against a father, the idea of standing against a father, the idea of coming against a father, and his dad is clearly someone who worships Baal because the idol, the, the shrine, the altar is at his dad's place, is right there at his dad's house. And the Lord instructs him, go and tear down this altar. 
Go and tear down this altar. Gideon, who's been hiding in a wine press, let's go back to the beginning, hiding in a wine press, treading out grain because he's too terrified of this army that at some point is coming. Now, now I want you to stand up to your dad. Now I want you to stand up to your father. Now that's an intimidating thing in this nation. In that part of the world, that's unheard of. That's unheard. You don't go against dad in that part of the world. You don't go against dad in that part of the world. But Gideon is so transformed that he does it. And not only does he do it, but then he, he builds an altar to the Lord on the, on the other side of it. He tears down the altar of Baal. He cuts down the Asherah and he builds an altar for the Lord. And he leaves the altar for the Lord so that the next morning, everyone from town comes out. And they say, who has done this? And it's Gideon's dad who stands up for Gideon. The transformation in Gideon was so radical that it actually reached and touched his father. It actually reached and touched his father. The implication from the story is that Gideon's dad worships Baal. But the next morning, Gideon is so transformed, and this is the only way we know, this is the only indication we have. His dad sees that Gideon is so brave that he would tear down the altar of Baal and build an altar for Yahweh. And that's enough for Gideon's dad to say, something has changed in my son. Something has changed in my son. Yesterday, he was hiding in a wine press treading out grain because he was worried that an army was coming in and they were gonna steal our food. And today, he's tearing down an altar that he believes stands against what he believes in his heart, even though he knows it's against what I want. And it so wrecks his dad that his dad stands with him in front of a whole town of people, and they want to kill Gideon. And his dad says, let Baal fight for himself. If Baal is such a god, then let Baal come and fight for himself. If his altar was torn down, then let Baal come and answer for himself. This is, this is, this wrecks me. This wrecks me that in a moment, a man who worshiped a statue that never spoke a word, that never answered a prayer, that never moved anything, one action from his son. His son was so radically changed that one action from his son, it showed him, it showed him that something had happened. God had encountered Gideon so radically that it touched his dad, that the encounter didn't stop with Gideon. It actually, it actually reached through the generations and grabbed his dad. It grabbed his dad. Now, we don't know what happened to his dad from there, but we do know that he refused to stand on the side of those who wanted to come after Gideon. We, he refused to stand on the side of those who wanted to, to rebuild the altar for Baal. It, the, the, the encounter was powerful enough that it reached through generations. He has the ability to encounter us powerfully enough to reach through generations. And it doesn't have to come through a sermon. It doesn't have to come through us preaching at our kids or preaching at our parents. It's just that the outflow of our heart is so radically changed that they see a difference and all of a sudden they recognize you're not who you once were. You're not who you once were. You're not who you once were. So Gideon goes on, the Lord the Lord deals with Gideon. He tears down that altar, and now the Lord begins to prepare him 
to go and to fight the Midianites. And it says, now all the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the people of the east, verse 33, came together and they crossed the Jordan and they encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and he sounded the trumpet and the Abyssalites were called out to follow him. Two things in this. The spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. It clothed Gideon. It, literally, the spirit of the Lord, what, Gideon put on the spirit of the Lord like a cloak. He, he put on the spirit of the Lord. I, I don't know what that does for you, but for me, it makes me jealous. Because this is Old Testament. This is Old Covenant. This is, he's not supposed to have the access that I have. Yes, he's a mighty man of God. And yes, he did wonderful, mighty things for the Lord. But he's not supposed to have the access that I have. And I have the Spirit of the Lord in me for me, but I need the Spirit of the Lord on me for the people around me. And the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. Literally in the Hebrew, he put him on like a coat. He was dressed in the Spirit of the Lord. He put on the Spirit of the Lord. One theologian commented and said, it was like Gideon put on the chain mail of the Spirit of the Lord to where he was impenetrable in battle. Impenetrable in battle. That provokes me. That stirs me. That, hung, that, that pulls on my heart. Because I'm supposed to have more access, thanks to Calvary. I'm supposed to have greater access because of the blood of Jesus. And yet Gideon put it on like a coat. And I feel like, I'm not gonna go there. Gideon put it on like a coat. And I wonder sometimes, I, I wonder if we've got there. I wonder if we've got there. Yes, the Lord came down and encountered Gideon powerfully. Yes, the Lord came down and met with him in the form of an angel face to face. Yes, all of those things are true. But we have the Spirit of God inside of us. The Spirit of the Lord lives within us. Romans 8 says that the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives within me. The same Spirit. And if Gideon could put him on like a coat, I wanna put him on like a coat. And if Gideon could fight a whole army of Midianites as if they were one man, then I want to face Winchester or Lexington or Richmond or Mount Sterling as if it's one man. Every power of darkness as if it's one man. I don't want to have to worry about do we have enough. I don't want to have to worry about I don't wanna to have to worry about, well, they've been here for so long and they've been entrenched for so long. Forget that. Gideon, in an old covenant, put on the spirit of the Lord like a cloak, like a coat, and he fought an army like they were one man, like they were one man because the Lord was with him and he has empowered me and you and us to take on this city. The same Holy Spirit, but with greater access. And that provokes me. It provokes me because we should be able to put him on like a coat. And I think there have been times for moments we have. But I think, I think sometimes we don't steward it well enough to keep him. 
I think sometimes we don't steward it well enough to keep it. The other thing that the other thing that catches my attention in this verse, it says in verse 34, Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, he sounded the trumpet, the Abyssalites were called out, were called out to follow him. Gideon, Gideon, Gideon called together a whole tribe of people together and led them in battle against a, a, an army that was tormenting them because of his encounter. The, the rest, we don't, we don't know. Maybe the rest of them had an encounter too. But all we know is Gideon was the one who had an encounter. One encounter, one encounter, and one encounter raised a whole company of people to come together. One encounter got a whole group of people to come together and to single their focus to join against one army. It was enough for one person to have an encounter. I love the story of the upper room that 120 people came together and they were fasting and praying and they were all together for 10 days and they were all with one mind and one accord. And I love that and I think that's wonderful, but I don't wanna be locked in a room with you guys for 10 days because I just don't, okay? If the Lord says to, we will. And if you guys get that word, that's awesome. But there is enough power in one encounter in one person's encounter to round up a group of people to lead them in battle against an army. It does not take all 6,000 people who attend church on this side of Winchester to each have a meeting with the Lord. Now, do I want all of those people to meet with the Lord? Yes, but what does that tell me? If I meet with him, it's enough. If I meet with him, it's enough. I want them to meet with him, yes. But if I get alone with him, it's enough. It's enough. I don't have to wait on all of Winchester to get it together. If I get with him, it's enough. If he gets with him, it's enough. We can round up an army with one person getting an encounter. There's enough ability exchanged in one encounter that a whole company of people will hear the trumpet of the voice of the Lord released through a man or woman of God, and they'll say, that doesn't sound like what flesh would say. That sounds like what heaven is saying, and I'm gonna rally around what heaven is saying, and I'm gonna join forces against whatever that is that's coming against heaven. There's enough in one encounter. It doesn't take all of Winchester. Yes, I hope all of Winchester gets in on it. But until they do, I'm gonna get alone with him. I'm gonna get alone with him. Because I believe there's enough. There's enough of him in one encounter that we can reach out and get them. And then when we reach out and get them, then there's enough in their encounter that they can go reach out and get them. But it doesn't require the apostle coming and fasting for 20 days and then finding me and super soaking me with oil until I hit the floor. Maybe that's what the Lord tells him to do. And if the Lord tells him to do it, he better do it. He better do it and he will. And he will. But if he sneaks up in my bedroom and just whispers in my ear, it's enough. It's enough. Because there's enough power just in his whisper to impart ability, 
to take on everything that the principalities and powers of this region have. There's enough. He stepped on a shore at Gennesaret and the man with a legion of demons, maybe legions of demons, ran from the other side of an island and fell at his feet and fell at his feet. No more had he touched ground than he ran to where he was and fell at his feet. There's enough. There's enough. It doesn't have to be super powerful but it's gotta be him. It doesn't have to be super demonstrative to be powerful, excuse me, but it has to be him. It has to be him. Stand with me tonight. You guys ever read like uh, the journals or the, the writings of like old generals of the faith? Yeah. I read some of these guys' stuff, some of these gals' stuff. And I read some of them have some of the most crazy, powerful, demonstrative encounters you've ever Seen, and they're out in public. Dowie was walking down the street in Manhattan when the Lord touched him. In the middle of Manhattan, when the Lord touched him, can you imagine? In the middle of Manhattan, when the Lord comes on you powerfully all of a sudden, and he had to run to a friend's house because he was so overcome by the presence of the Lord. And there are others, same great powerful anointing who are just tucked away in a bedroom reading a psalm. And suddenly, here he comes. And it's not demonstrative. Chairs aren't flying everywhere and books aren't soaring through the air. And there's not angels and hosts and beings and creatures with eyeballs, but it's just him. And they walked in the same powerful anointing that Dowie did, that Wigglesworth did, that Seymour did. Some of the guys that had the crazy demonstrative touches, some of the other folks had just private, subtle encounters face-to-face with the Lord. But they both produced a fruit that led to the kingdom expanding, to the kingdom expanding. I just want him. I don't care what it looks like. And I think he wants us. I think more than I want him, he wants me. And I'm just trying to figure out how to get out of the way. And I think he wants us because I think there is enough in one encounter with him to wreck Georgetown. I think there's enough in one encounter with him to wreck Toyota. I think there's enough in one encounter to mess up the courthouse in Mount Sterling. I'm walking in the building and people say something has changed. It doesn't take a word, but something has shifted. And so, Lord, we pray that you would lead us into encounters with you. Holy Spirit, help us to get out of the way. 
We are hungry for whatever you have for us. And we pray that we would be the vessels that you need. We are just earthen vessels and jars of clay. But we do get to hold the treasure of heaven. The glory of the king. And we pray that you would encounter us again. Lord, for some of us, it's been years. For some of us, it's been decades. For some of us, it's been days since we first encountered you. Lord, however long it's been, encounter us again and impart into us again a fresh strength, a fresh power, a fresh ability that we did not have before to change the world around us, Lord, to change this city to change our communities, to change our neighborhoods, Lord, to change our homes, that children would see the fresh ability in moms and dads, that parents would see the fresh ability in children, that grandparents would notice the change in grandkids, Lord, that the community would see the change and that it wouldn't come in a sermon. It would just come from the outflow of a heart that's turned towards you, that has been impacted with a fresh ability. And Lord, let the impact be so severe, so severe that it rounds up a people that set their heart, that set their heart, Lord, to advance the kingdom in this region. And we give you praise for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening today to the Living Godcast. We trust and pray that you are blessed by today's word. If you would like to contact us for prayer or for more information about Church of the Living God, please visit our Facebook page at WinCityCOLG or give us a call at 859-745-1865.